Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry. Kim is the editor of Food and Drink Business and also the host of this show. Kim, how are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well indeed. And yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I know it's been a long day for both of us so far, but I'm looking forward to this interview because I think it's going to be a wonderful discussion with lots of great information. So over to you, Kim. This is true. Today we are talking all things innovation and big picture and how we respond to the challenges that the industry and the broader community face. Uh, and we're doing that with Angelina Charia. She's the Innovation and Growth Executive Director for Simplot Australia. Uh, Just a side note, Simplot is home to some of our most iconic brands, Bird's Eye, Legos, Edgel, the mighty Chico Roll, and indeed Chicken Tonight. Now, Angeline has more than 20 years of diverse international innovation and leadership experience. Uh, She's worked across the blue chip multinationals, including Mondelez International, Yum Brands, uh, Fonterra and Mars. She has extensive experience across industry and university and government sectors. Her expertise has really been in leading teams in innovation and strategy development and market expansion, as well as the areas of R&D, quality, regulatory factors and packaging functions. Over the course of her career so far, Angeline's leadership has resulted in more than a 1,000 innovations in FMCG, FS and QSR retail channels in uh, Japan, China, Thailand, New Zealand and Australian markets. She is renowned for her innovation and commercial experience, along with her strong business acumen. Angeline, welcome. Thanks, Kim. How are you? I'm very well indeed. That's, uh, that's quite, uh, you've packed in a fair bit there in the 20 years so far. Oh, yes. And I think I still look 21, hopefully. Oh, as, as fresh as the day, as fresh as the day. Uh, what would be, what would you say are some of the key highlights so far? Oh, wow. That's a really good question and probably hard to capture all of my 20 odd years, as you say. But um, I think as, you know, if, if I look back and say, you know, what I'm really proud of with the achievements um, would have to be, um, I guess, if I link it back to my passion, I'm passionate about food, I'm passionate about innovation and my husband, right? In, in Not in necessarily that order either. <laughs> so for me, um, I guess, you know, um, the thousand innovations that I have, um, been a part of, uh, whether I've led them myself or I have been part of a team or, uh, you know, they've been um, through my leadership um, in all of those various markets. And ultimately, those innovations have created value. Um, So whether they were product innovation or they were service-led innovation, it's ultimately created value for the customer or the end consumer uh, as well. And, And for me, that's what I'm really proud of. And it's wonderful, you know, whenever I get a chance to walk down the aisle of, say, a supermarket and I'm looking at product innovation to go, oh, wow, that one's still there and that one I had a hand in and amazing just to see. So it always puts a smile on my face. Um, the second thing I would say I'm really proud of is um, 
probably when uh, with the Food Innovation Centre, which I kicked off at Mondelez, and it was a crazy thing that I did in my career, um, took a huge risk and came to um, put together a world-first food innovation centre. And really what I had was a three-year time frame. I had a bold vision that Mondelez gave me, which was how do you build a brighter future in food manufacturing in the state of Victoria? And they had partnered with the Victorian government. And I had a pot of money. And that was it, right? So, And I had to do that in three years and show how the sector could really collaborate. Um, So that I'm very, very proud of. And maybe the third thing is probably my journey as a human, as a leader, um, not just in innovation, but um, the work that I've done in coaching and mentoring, um, either it's my direct teams or non-direct teams, but also on things like, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, because these are things I hold really dear to me. Um, uh, And through that, uh, in terms of some of the, I guess, the change transformation I've been able to make in my own little way because every small step I think helps Um, and probably the other bit is the work I continue to do with startups um, nurturing them and coaching them uh, on how we can get more smaller you know great founder businesses to scale up and to really make an impact um, you know or make a dent as I say in food and agriculture. How did you end up in this space? Like what, I mean, going right back, I guess, to the beginning, what was your, uh, did you, um, did you go to university or did you, like, what was it, was innovation and and these sort of, this area something you were keen on from the get-go or was it once you were in the industry that you went, oh, this is, this is, this really lights my fire? Um, yeah, I had, had no idea about innovation, I think, when I signed on to what I wanted to do after uni, right? So, yeah. um, my, um, but you know what? When I was growing as a child, I'm one of those people who always pushed myself out of comfort zone and was always looking at improving things. Doesn't matter what it was in my life. And someone who, was, you know, love to travel and therefore experience new things. So that newness and that tinkering was always in my blood, if you say. Um, and when I left, well, I finished high school and, you know, what what um, kind of course you do, actually my dad gave me advice and, and he he's, he's passed on, but he was an agriculturist and a horticulturist and he said, Ange, um, pick food because everybody will have to eat. You know, and that'll be the place where you'll have jobs and opportunities to flourish. And that was the advice I got. So I started with a Bachelor of Science and majored in food. Um, I was actually one of the first batches out of the Victoria University back then. And uh, I did an honours um, degree in, in food technology um, and food science back then. So that's how I got into this world of food. <laughs> and well and truly entrenched. There's no, there's no backing out now. <laughs> there's no sidestep to aeronautical, uh, you know, <laughs> space uh, travel. Not quite, unless it takes me to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us what your, tell us about your current role. What does an innovation and growth executive director actually do? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's a pretty sexy title, I reckon. So um, it is. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy with it. <laughs> I'm pretty chuffed too. Um, so look, my remit in is exactly what it says. It's actually how do you enable um, innovation to happen that ultimately has to result in growth or value. Um, and that remit for me is from seed to plate. So Simplot, 
Um, Australia is part of the JR Simplot company globally and literally in our business we say we go from mining through to plate. Um, and it's a very diverse business, right? So my role of innovation and growth actually help, gets me to look across from seed, right? So if it's a potato seed, for instance, or it's a corn or, you know, whatever we're looking at, or even in our fish business, you know, it's not quite seed, but you know what I mean. Um, it sort of looks from all of that through to plate. And it's really looking at innovation where, you know, in most FMCG, just like any others, it's an end product is a product on shelf or on a re, in a, in a customer um, restaurant or online. Uh, but more and more, what we're trying to do is look at innovation across that value chain and how do we create value, whether we're at the farmer end, uh, we're in our factories, uh, we're um, designing for new product or new services, or we're actually at the customer end um, through our distribution circle as well. Looking at that across the entire chain, is that a relatively new thing or is it just is it actually just now becoming more widely sort of spoken about? Because I, I think it's there seems to have always been this focus about the end product, but now this notion of looking at where's the innovation in terms of how are we saving water or how, how have we got a, a, a more ethical or a, a more mutually beneficial relationship with our suppliers or is that relatively new or just getting more airtime? Yeah, in my experience, and it's all the businesses you mentioned before that I've worked in, I think it's always been there. It probably just hasn't had the light of, of day, if you will. Um, and, and I think also businesses, you know, as the world gets more competitive, you have a lot more competitors coming at you. Um, you, you realize that, you know, if you don't innovate across the value chain, you're leaving money on the table, as I say, or any value on the table. So you can make the best tasting or delightful product that the consumer loves. But if you haven't really, you know, done that in a, if it's a sustainable way or a nutritious way or um, looked at the best quality of ingredients and the processes to manage, you know, high quality product, then I think, you know, that um, can only result in one part of that value rather than, you know, making sure that as you bring all of this together. And I think what's happening now, particularly over the last, I would say, five years or so, most businesses are now really stepping into this and unlocking their whole value chain end to end and starting to see, okay, how do we get people looking much more holistically at innovation rather than, you know, this is what the consumer or the customer need is, let's just design for that and pack it in a jar and put it on the shelf, for instance. So within your role, are you are you then, I mean, you're obviously then working with people across the entire company. Is there a core unit that has people in it that, are pulled from across the entire company or is it a bit is it less less structured than that uh, it's, it's quite structured so uh, I uh, I have the privilege of leading a team called innovation and growth at Simplot Australia and you know it's made up of um, a number of teams so anything from quality um, food innovation culinary chefs um packaging, we have science, technology and nutrition in there. Um, so that's basically, I guess, if you will, that team um, co-leads with marketing the innovation agenda, including, you know, all of our quality and how products actually continue to be safe and, and 
um, across that whole value chain. But innovation for me is a team sport, right? Innovation doesn't happen just because you have a brand or a name called innovation and thou shall innovate. Um, yeah. So um, like in um, all businesses and in particular in Simplot, um, you know, really the ethos we have here is that everybody can innovate. You can even be an accountant and innovate, right? And we want everyone to innovate. Um, so um, we then, you know, obviously once we identify what are the problems or the challenges, the opportunities we need to solve, we will then bring the right experts from across the business to work on those. Um, and, and that brings with it the expertise of the knowledge but also the diversity of thought uh, and, and to really challenge thinking so that you come up with the best um, outcome for if it's the consumer or the customer that you're innovating for or if, it's, or if we're innovating for ourselves. Mm. Mm, sure. Uh, are there some areas of that value chain that are, you know, that are a bit of the thorn in the side, or that are that are harder to um, harder to innovate in than others? Um, well, I wouldn't call them thorn in the side. I would say they are healthy tensions that always happen. <laughs> Uh, so, for instance, you know, you you would have, you know, us in the innovation and growth team and who's always trying to push the boundaries and then you may have, you know, within your manufacturing team who are really there to make sure that they're making product as efficiently at the best cost value, right? So, whenever you're bringing in something new, it is going to actually, well, you know, kind of get bring more complexity in perhaps. Um, sometimes it's good complexity, sometimes it's bad complexity complexity right so there's always that healthy tension of what you're bringing and I think you know that will always be there or if it's with say um, you know um, back all the way down to our farmers and how do we you know at the end of the day we're reliant on agricultural crops right so a potato takes this long to grow and once you're in a paddock you know you you can't grow a potato the next season in the same paddock you have to then wait seven years or something like that so it's actually really about us um, putting ourselves as innovators in the shoes of every all of the actors across our supply chain and understanding I guess what their needs is, what are their pain and their pleasure points, and then enabling that we're doing innovation. Because, you know, when I said innovation, and I define innovation as purposeful creativity. So you have to be purposeful with that creativity. Otherwise, you're innovating for what, right? And that means you're understanding the need of someone or the customer or the consumer. And then you bring in fresh thinking, right? Fresh thinking is needed for innovation and you create value. So fresh thinking needs to create value. So purposeful creativity and fresh thinking that creates value. That's how we define innovation. And it's really important because sometimes I think, you know, uh, I have and I have been in businesses, I've even done it myself over my years, is where I've just innovated for the sake of innovation because it was sexy to do, right? Um, and, and for me, um, you know, over my career, what I've learned is that you really have to be purposeful with innovation. You have to be targeted. You have to work with your customers and your consumers and co-create along the way for it to have value. Otherwise, in the world of FMCG, as you would know, um, Kim, nine out of 10 products fail after the first 12 months of launch. There's a lot of effort and energy there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in your experience over that time, I mean, I, I would imagine that within a subset of innovation is is really change management, isn't it? 
Yes, I mentioned to you very early on, I'm one of those people who loves change, maybe too much change. <laughs> uh, so I always have to taper myself, right? And and yes, innovation is about change. It's about, you know, what, I, what I'm now saying is about iterating forward. How do you iterate forward? How do you get better each time? Sometimes, you know, I come up um, against mindsets that are very much about, oh, you've done the innovation tick. Our innovation never stops, right? It always keeps going because you can always better um, than what you have been. And it's just like us as humans, right? You know, we can sit here and go, right, I'm the best version of me today, but how do I make the best version of me tomorrow, right? What what are the steps I need to do? So you're always innovating, I think, in, in any way. And even in the littlest innovation, the littlest change is innovation. Mm. But what do you, I mean, I think there are people like yourself and probably myself who like to be, live in a state of uncomfortable excitement. You're sort of uncomfortably excited and, and that sort of what's next and how, what's, you know, but then there are an equal number of people who are very happy with to come into their role each day and for it to be the same and for them to know what's going to be there. And so how do you how do you bring everyone with you? How do you how do you really engender in a in a company, say of the size of Simplot or Mondelez, that real mentality of innovation is not a buzzword and change is is not a, a fear word? And uh, are there? I mean, you get different personality types in different you know in within different departments. You get how do you, how have you navigated that over your career? What have been some real wins for you in terms of seeing a group who were quite resistant to things you wanted to do but that did come on board eventually? Very good question. And I can I just profess that, that I'm still learning. So there ain't a silver bullet if that's what you're after. But there are many um, tactics and strategies that certainly I have used and so let me share. Um, innovation is about humans. It's about unlocking the genius within. It's not about the process. So many times people go, what's your innovation process? Well, actually, it's about the humans who enable innovation. And rightly so, there are people who are probably not going to be ever, you know, comfortable in that change and who are really good at what I will call execution. And you need those because innovators are probably very different people, right? They come up with the crazy ideas. They can go and try things, test and learn, as we say in our business. But then they may not always be the people who can execute well, right? And you need both to survive in the system. Um, you need the innovators and then you need the executors. And actually in between the innovators and the executors, you need people who scale, who know how to then ha- enable and make something um, scalable and repeatable at the same time. So I think for me, um, innovation culture is a really big one, you know, that I've focused in in many organizations and I'm doing that um, in Simplot as well. And cult- the culture of innovation. So it's about how do you, um, you know, engage people with a a really bold vision how do you um, create shared vision and alignment on that and showing people where you're going but take them on the journey with you rather than you know these are all the great things you want to do Um, things that have caught me out um, buzzwords of you know because it's like you know innovation sometimes can be this dark art and people go what are those people doing you know or you know it's the, the usual beanbags and whatever and you know off they're running around somewhere and doing those things and you 
you've got to really tear that down to what are the jobs in innovation that you need to do and chunk it down and be inclusive and pe- invite people in. Uh, everybody can have great ideas, right? We are never, ever going to be shortage of ideas in this world, trust me. But where um, we, we go wrong and where there is an opportunity is how do we take those ideas and nurture them quickly? And so if it's an idea on a page, well, okay, um, you know, this is the idea which hopefully is purposeful creativity linked because it's trying to solve for an opportunity or a problem or a customer need or a consumer need. And then how do you quickly take that idea off the page and translate into something that you can hold, touch, feel and go and test it out quickly, right? And when you do that, you learn. You get feedback and then how do you iterate that again so that you're able to take that and make it your minimal viable product and then you start to actually develop that into a successful product that either ends up if it's a food product obviously in a supermarket or in a restaurant or on a digital channel somewhere. You're listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast by Yaffa Media. We'll be right back after this. Finally, there's an alternative to polystyrene that won't cost the earth. Planet Protector Packaging has developed a range of eco-friendly, sustainable solutions that are commercially viable and cost-effective for your business. Our industry-specific wool pack range has been independently tested and proven to outperform alternative cold chain packaging. Here's the kicker. Our solution can significantly reduce your overall packaging and transportation footprint, and it doesn't cost the planet. To find out more, head to planetprotectorpackaging.com. And now, let's get back to the discussion on the Food and Drink Business podcast. So would I be correct to say that it's actually an innovative culture is actually about accepting that there, there are different types of people within that culture and some are yes doing that are uncomfortably excited and leaning into that that innovative um, mentality and there are others that are not in that space but they are still active participants within that culture through whatever their job is yeah, uh, and, and, Kim. and so is the next step from that that those you then just ensure that that those people who aren't <laughs> in the room throwing the beanbags, is uh, that those people feel that their role is as valued and their opinion is as valued as those who are up there with the butcher's paper and, and you know, making their lives difficult by wanting them to add something to the, you know, to the production line or, you know, change and change a, a packaging, you know, material or whatever it may be. Is that a fair, a fair sort of summation? I think that's a very fair summation. And and remember, it's it's diversity, right? We're all diverse as humans in the first place and we all bring um, our perspectives and all of that makes innovation happen. So how do you enable in your culture, in your organisation, in your community an ability for to hear from people who have great ideas? Trust me, the problems or the opportunities we see Somebody has already figured it out somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, even if we take our factories, such wonderful places, day in, day out, they innovate that we probably don't even know about, right? But they're doing it because they're right on the production line. They see something happening. They act on it. 
do we call it innovation? Maybe we don't. We sometimes we call it continuous improvement or whatever it is. But for me, all of those are examples of innovation that we should absolutely um, learn and celebrate and recognize. Sometimes we sometimes we leave that for um, you know the big sexy innovation. And and for me, I think if there's one thing I want to really say to anyone listening, and Grant, hopefully you're listening, um, innovation is not the sexy stuff. It's about how do you create value. Yeah, yeah, total agreement on that. And, uh, yeah, good to hear that it's not just beanbags and um, foosball and and all that kind of (laughs) stuff, uh, which many of the dot-com era thought was innovation. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Um, Okay, so if we've 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 done a really you know we've sort of looked internally at a, at a at a company and at innovation, let's now open up those windows a bit. When we're looking at the food and beverage sort of space on a broad scale, what are some of the big ticket items that the sector's facing at the moment? Is it sustainability? Is it <laughs> is it how does my company fit in when everything is now being made of um, faba bean protein isolate? Uh, <laughs> like, what what would you say are some of the bigger, you know, the big picture hot buttons at the moment? Yeah, look, I think it's an exciting time to be in the ag and food space. Um, and um, there are some massive headwinds and challenges that globally we're all facing, let alone in Australia, right? I mean, we have the ultimate challenge of one day we're not going to have enough land, enough energy, enough water to feed all the mounts we need to feed on this planet, right? Yes, you can find another solution and find another planet, (laughs) but that doesn't help you with the one that we've got, um, right? So I think, um, you know, those headwinds are... Are massive and it, it will take not just one organization to work through that. We have to all connect and come together and create a shared vision around how we're going to tackle it because we each have a role to play in that. Um, and part of that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, um, looking at this whole alternate protein space and plant-based and cellular agriculture, um, there are all ways that we're obviously looking at how do we enable more food uh, and more of the right foods because as you look at any market globally or as countries mature, Protein is the first thing that people look for. And ultimately, that protein today is largely coming from red meat, chicken, etc. right? Um, but then, you know, what other ways can you bring protein into that, which is through your plant-based and the, the rise and rise of plant-based as, I, as you see today? Um, I, and I think coupled with that, because of those big trajectory around water, land and energy, is then how do you grow food for the future? Because you may not have enough land um, and that's uh, do we have enough land that is arable that you can you know, plough and grow or uh, through urbanisation because you just don't have enough land. So how do we actually look at some of these big, massive food systems problems so that we can collectively solve for that? And I think any time, you know, uh, you know and when I look at that and I go, wow, I can't solve for that myself or even in the organisation I sit in, so how do we collaborate to bring that together? Um, you mentioned, you know, sustainability, and I think it's very hot in our market at the minute. You know, it's hot in that everybody's talking about it from our politicians um, 
all the way through. So, you know, if you just pick sustainability in the lens of, say, waste, whether that's food or packaging waste, um, there's a massive opportunity for us here that we need to step in collectively. And unless we say that these are the visionary things we want to do, we won't we won't move because guess what? We're probably a little bit late to the party today, globally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you talk about that collaboration, I mean, it's I guess it's the same in any any industry, but really within the food and beverage space, people really hold on. Like people, you know, companies are very uh, hold on very tightly to uh, their internal workings and their and and their processes. And what you're talking about involves those companies actually now sitting around a table and talking about issues that will ultimately change some of their processes and make them have to be more open about them or talk about them with basically with competitors. Do you think, is it realistic? Do you think there's a movement in the industry towards that or is it a bit of a pipe dream? It's not a pipe dream. I think it's realistic and there are a number of examples globally, uh, many examples globally and uh, many that we're starting to see in our country as well, right? You only have to look south at our neighbours, the Kiwis, how have they collaborated for years and the brand that they've built around 100% you know, pure and what the work that they're doing in advancing food and agriculture in their country. Um, so absolutely it is possible and, and, I, and I get where you're coming from, you know, because, yes, food tends to be very much about, you know, um, intellectual property, right, and yeah. you know, whether that's protected through patents in some cases, trade secrets or, um, you know, other ways, uh, we tend to hold that very, very tight with us. But, we, you know, um, at the same time, collaboration doesn't mean you share everything. Collaboration means how do you come to um, what is the glue that is going to connect you because you're trying to solve for something, right, or an opportunity. Um, and I can give an example that I worked on a few years ago now, uh, which is live and actually working now out there, and it's in the education sector. So um, it was when I was at Mondelez and, you know, as part of the food Innovation Center, one of the, the things that we looked at and the hypotheses we had was for this country to really advance, uh, we need better skilled people in innovation and packaging, right, in food and agriculture, because innovation for the art of innovation and really making sure you can create value, packaging, because ultimately it's the pack that sits on the shelf or on a digital platform that calls out to you and says, put me in my basket, Kim, quickly, right? And so one of the things when, when, whenever you're designing, and I'm a product developer, when you're designing products, the packaging seems to be the last thing on anyone's mind, whereas it should be really the thing you start off with with a product and really design that to ultimately, not just for the safety of the product, but the design cues that you need. So what do we do? We actually went out at Mondelez as Mondelez and basically connected with our competitors. The companies we fight, uh, we fought with, and still Mondelez does, fight in the aisles like cats and dogs, as I used to say. Yes. And we said, <laughs> this is an opportunity that we're seeing that sector-wide, which is the skills shortage, right? So every time we recruit, you know, we are actually struggling because the universities weren't really preparing the kind of talent that we needed in industry. And all of our competitors agreed. So what did we do? We formed the coalition of the willing and we said, right, 
we're going to actually pull something together where in, as industry, together with government and with educators, we're going to design a program that will enable talent to be trained like the way industry does. And the output of that is the Masters of Food Innovation and Packaging that is actually currently at the University of Melbourne. Um, and we launched that, oh, was 2015 and still going strong for a master's level program. I think it averages around between, um, don't quote me, the last number I got was about 35 to 45 students per year, which is pretty good. And, and then when so you think about over six years. Yeah. yeah. And what you're then doing is, and now I'm sitting in a corporate again, right, and I'm kind of going, right, these are great graduates that are coming that are actually trained by industry folk as well because industry can go and lecture there and build their capability. And then they then can have, you know, uh, we have better trained people because you can have talent out there in your graduate programs, right? But by the time they come into your business, learn how to navigate the complexity of an organisation and stakeholder management and all of that, let alone innovation and packaging design, right? Uh, it takes time. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that sort of illustrates an example of where you can really collaborate if you choose to. Well, and I think the recent development with Nestle and the team of, uh, gosh, what, 11 other yes. companies to create the prototype of the, you know, soft plastic packaging uh, made of fully recycled materials, you know, that, that all happened in four months those 11, 11 different private companies and councils got together and made that happen in four months. So, yeah, that's really, yeah, you know, I really, uh, I think we all hope that there is a groundswell towards recognising that sitting around the table together on some of the big picture issues is not somehow, you know, letting the wolves in the door. I totally agree. And I am super excited, actually. I um, ping my partner, um, um um, the person I know at Nestle on it and congratulated them on just the approach that they took and what they've done, right? Because not only have they shown collaboration, they've actually unlocked the door for other people, you know, um, uh, companies who have the plastics issue because we, we all don't know what to do with it, right? And this now is going to be in our backyard. So I think there's an opportunity through that collaboration to invite others into the mix as well. So... What's on the horizon? What's some of the big bites that, you, uh, that you're chomping at the bit to make? Oh, there's always big bites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, um, you know, I think um, if, if you look at us, I just see the art of the possibilities everywhere I go. Um, uh, I am so uh, heartened to see if we take um, – the world of food and agri startups, you know, the accelerators that we have in this business and how we're nurturing um, new companies and new founders to come into this space, probably people who've never had any food experience, but they're basically coming in and looking at opportunities and problems to solve for the end user, um, whoever that be, right? So I think that startup space is really flourishing. Um, if you look at our small and medium enterprises, um, I think there's huge opportunity, particularly probably coming off the back of COVID as well. Um, I think that, you know, as an industry, we've learned a lot. Um, thank God we were in the business of food, right? Because everybody needed to buy food and well, Everyone needs to eat. paper. Right? <laughs> Everyone needs to eat. <laughs> That's it. But good thing they went hand in hand anyway. Um, mm. So I think, you know, we have learned a lot. And I know you hear from our, you know, um, country leaders who say we can, 
we can make food to feed 60 million people, which is well and good, but can we do that in a way that is sustainable and nourishing at the end of the day as well, right? And I think that is the context we need to add um, to that. And then I guess, you know, um, sitting in a large organisation like uh, where I am, um, you know, there are certainly opportunities, I think, in, in the way that we play as a clear actor in the supply chain in our communities and, you know, what we can also do to support um, some of these businesses coming, but um, I think the leadership we need to show clearly in some of the areas um, that we've talked about over the podcast as well. Um, I, I do, I'm also on a number of boards and advisory committees as well, and I think from, from there I'm seeing really quite a lot of investment being thrown in food and agriculture, and I think for the first time ever, and that's globally. Um, and what that shows is investor sentiment, which is a really great signal because it starts to see that the world of food and ag is no longer probably where it was, which was just the basics, right? And, you know, it was food, it wasn't sexy or anything like that, to a point now where actually you're having a conversation about food uh, and agri-food, if you will, because there's such a need and there will be a need as we go forward and try and feed 10 billion people. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I think that's a great place to um, put a line under until our next chat. <laughs> We'll have we'll catch up next year and just be like you know. So, actually, world domination. How's that going? <laughs> I prefer to Thank see through collaboration, Kim. Right? <laughs> Definitely, we can do a part two for sure. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Angeline. I, it, I mean, you're just your energy and enthusiasm is absolutely contagious, and I think uh, it really does. Um, you know, I think put fire in the belly about the possibilities and the unending potential of this sector. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I had fun. <laughs> That's what we like to hear, guests having fun. And it has been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed listening to it. And ladies and gentlemen of the audience, I hope you've agreed that there's been some some good key pieces of information here about innovation, what it is, and the whole collaboration aspect. You need to innovate. You need to collaborate because somebody's going to eat your lunch. It may as well be part of your company. <laughs> but thanks, folks. It's been a fascinating discussion, as I said. And Angeline, really appreciate you taking the time to give us some of these insights and uh, helping Kim and I get a better appreciation for what goes into innovation. And uh, with that, we'll wrap up the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with more great content. Until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.